pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and ask you to take each part of this service and be honored and glorified in it. Lord, we're thankful that we have work to do and we're thankful that you are the one that gives us the grace to get it done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. And uh, we are closing in on the end uh, of this book. And John now, chapter number 1, once again, chapter number 1, the true testimony of Christ. Chapter number 2 is false Christ or antichrist. Then chapter 3 is false believers. Chapter 4 is false spirits. And chapter 5 now, he's going to give us the testimony of the true believer. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth. That Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in in earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. (coughs) Excuse me. So, What we have going on here in chapter 5 is now John is zeroing in and he's he's told us how the true believer ought to act and the true love should be able to pass these three tests. Number one, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Number two, that he listens to John, that he is a part of the faith that already exists. This is one of the great fallacies uh, that has come down through the ages. The Protestants came along and they said, the church has gotten so corrupt that we need to fix it. Well, Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. Maybe they had the wrong church to start with. Amen? Uh, And and actually they did because that was never Jesus' church. The true church is the one that believes the Bible. Amen? But, and, and this is why any time when we going through the book of Acts, we've spent time on Pentecost, we are talking about an organic, a living relationship between Jesus and his church. Church did not start on the day of Pentecost. 
The church was started personally by Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so one, uh, well, let's just see if we can pick one here. Uh, Joseph Smith in the 1820s and 30s said, I have the last testament of Jesus Christ. Wrong answer. The last testament of Jesus Christ is right here. Everything we need is here. It's connected. When Alexander Campbell decided to start the Church of Christ, I mean, what a great name for a church. Amen? The Church of Christ. How can you get any better than that? In fact, when I, I think I've told the story, but when I was in Bible college, uh, I was working in a nursing home, and one of the ladies was part of that Church of Christ thing, and she said, see, it says, the churches of Christ salute you. That's talking about my church. And I, I just laughed, and she looked, what, what's so funny? I said, the Church of Christ was formerly the Disciples of Christ, and it was started by a man named Alexander Campbell in the 1830s and 40s. There was no such thing as a church of Christ before Alexander Campbell. And, and so if you know just a little bit of history, it solves a lot of problems. Amen? Jesus started his church, and we want to serve him in it. Every once in a while you'll see, there's not very many of them, but uh, it's called an apostolic Pentecostal church. You see, verse 1 tells us that if you believe in the Father, you'll believe in the Son. Now, this was to answer the question of the false Jewish faith that had developed into tradition And this also explains why on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. And just a few days or weeks later, there was another 5,000 men added to the church. And the church grew. And and Paul would go into an area where there were Jewish believers. And in just a few days, in some instances or weeks, he would leave a fully functioning church. How did that happen? Well, it was very simple. If you love the Father and believe truly in the Father, you accepted the testimony of the Son. And so we have had, in the first century, totally trained and prepared men who were teaching God's Word in the synagogues. And when they understood that Jesus was their Messiah and believed on Him, they already had the Bible. They already had their training. Now, what happened? The Jewish people who refused to believe in Jesus began to say, you're not Jewish if you believe in Jesus. Well, can you change your family heritage by just someone saying so? No. But because they were cast out of Jewish society... They basically then integrated, and so the only people left claiming the name Jew were those that did not believe in Jesus because they redefined things to a point to where 
They were no longer welcome in Jewish circles, and so they became part of the true church and separated, and, and, and things progressed to where, where they are today. And so uh, you had the Jewish people who claimed to believe in the Father and yet rejected the Son. Uh, in modern da- days, you have several uh, different groups. You have the Jehovah's Witness that claim to be the witnesses of Jehovah, yet they refuse to believe in the deity of Christ. You have the apostolic Pentecostal who's believe in Jesus, but refuse to accept the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so what John's little book is doing is giving us a road map to keep us straight. We can determine who has truth and who does not just by studying the simple five chapters of this book. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're born of God. That's, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And yet, how many remember when you went to the Catholic Church for you were saved? You talked about Jesus all the time, didn't you? And in the Orthodox Church and in the Protestant Church. And you would say that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus has come in the flesh and, and all of these things... <clears throat> But here's the difference. You see, you were just holding on to an empty tradition. When you got saved, you made it real. Amen? And that's what John's talking about here. That's what he means by believing. It's not just giving mental assent. It's not just saying, okay, yes, this happened. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it means something. It attaches you to this book called the Bible. It's going to drive you into the Word and it's going to modify your behavior. Amen? And so, John says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, that's the Father, Loveth him also that is begotten of us, of him, I'm sorry. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, I think we have a tendency just to jump over this verse. But the truth of the matter is, the best way... I can express my love to you as a fellow Christian is to love God and keep His commandments. The best way that you can express true love towards me or any other person is by obeying God. You see, that's why we're in church on Thursday night. Amen? There's no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt go to church on Thursday night. But there is a verse that says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen? Uh, And uh, the day is approaching, and we are supposed to be together. We assemble together. We give each other strength and comfort and encouragement. 
uh, the Bible word? Love. When someone truly cares for you, when they love you, what do they do? They seek your best. Amen? And what is the best thing that can happen in your life? Obedience to the Word of God. What is the best thing that can happen in your friend's life? Obedience to the Word of God. How many of you have had friends that have tried to influence you to do things that you knew were against the Bible? We all have at one time or another. The Bible says they don't love you. They're not your friends. They're not caring about you because if they love you, they're going to help you keep His commandments. If you want to truly know that you love someone else, be obedient to God. You see, this is, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. You ever met anybody that just was having a hard time serving the Lord? Oh, Go to church three times a week? You've got to be kidding me. Tithing? That, that doesn't mean 10%. And they just go on and on. And, and uh, the simple thing is, here's the definition of grievous. Pressing heavily upon a person, burdensome, oppressive. Of things, events, accidents, etc., bringing serious trouble or discomfort, having injurious effects, causing hurt or pain. Another definition is grievous to think of, qualifying intensively, denoting something painful or injurious. Now, how many of you remember the story of Hophni and Phineas? the two sons of Eli, and all of their behavior. What they did, read the the account, was it says they made people to abhor the sacrifice of the Lord. They made the children of Israel to feel grieved in their spirits anytime they went to worship God because they had to put up with Hophni and Phinehas. Because... When they did the sacrifices, they came with the three uh, hooked handle and they would just take it in the pot and pull everything out. And sometimes you wouldn't even get the part of the sacrifice that you were entitled to because the priest took it. And they would sometimes say, you know, we don't want you to cook the meat. We want it raw. We want it right now. And if you won't give it to us, they'll take it by force. And uh, they were immoral and they were... Uh, very selfish and self-centered in all of these things. And they made it grievous to serve the Lord. Now we need to be careful. It's not easy to stay separate from the world in which we live, is it? It's there. Everywhere we go. 
had to go over to the store to stock up on everything today, BJ's, because the students ate everything there was. All we had was leftovers, and so we had to go and stock up. But the music was so loud, you couldn't even hardly think. And I'm sitting there trying to call my wife, check on something that's on the list. And it's like somebody's talking right over top of my phone. I go around the corner, and there's one of those dumb 50-some-inch TV sets playing some uh, slop opera or something. The guy's standing there just talking, 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 and going, Where's the plug? I just love to unplug that thing. But I couldn't find it. Um, But it's just everywhere you go. Noise. Signs. People doing their own things. And just literally drives you to a point of discouragement sometimes. Now, wait a minute. What are we supposed to do? Love God. It's a whole lot easier if we keep our eyes and our focus on God instead of ourselves. Amen? And we'll find out that those commandments that God has given us, they are the things that protect us from the harm that is in the world. They are the things that will keep us from being tricked by all of the deceivers that are out there. These very things that the world looks at and they say, Oh, that way is too narrow. The Bible is too restrictive. I I can't be. That's why David in Psalm 119 said, I find thy commandment exceedingly broad. If you know the peace that comes by simply being obedient to Christ, you know the freedom that comes along with it. That's what Jesus said. If you know the Son, ye shall be what? Free indeed. It's not grievous to be free, but it is to be enslaved. It is to be chained and burdened with all of the things that are going on. And so, let's just take a moment here. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, I want us to just touch on this. Go back with me to chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth, confesseth excuse me, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. See, one of the reasons why John's little letter here is so confusing to many people is he repeats himself a lot. And if you'll just go back and pick up on the repetition, you're going to see a lot of those things that people get confused with, just lay right down and be in place. See, let's go back to chapter 3. And uh, let's look at verse 23 of chapter 3. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, of, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. 
You see, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, that's the test of false spirits. Chapter 3, verse 23, this is the duty of true believers versus the behavior of false believers. And that's what John is trying to put forth when he talks about those that um, are living in sin or that commit sin. The whole idea is someone that is living totally against the Word of God. Can Christians sin? Yes. Christians sin all the time. Should Christians sin? Well, no, there's no excuse because the Spirit of God lives in us. But we go back to chapter 1, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet, the Christian will fight against sin in their life. That's the difference. The just man falleth how many times? Seven times and riseth again. But the wicked falleth into perdition. If you're saved, you're going to get up. If you're saved, you're going to keep coming back to the cross. If you're saved, you're going to keep coming back to Jesus. Amen? If you're not, you're going to say... Something along this line. Well, I tried that Jesus thing. It didn't work. Well, that's because you never had it. That's because you never, you, you only had a little bit of it. The Bible talks about people who believe in Timothy, but they don't believe to the saving of the soul. It's just right up here in their head. Uh, one old time preacher said a lot of people are going to miss heaven by the distance between their heart and their brain. Uh, because the faith is a uh, faith that is just here, that is just a mental understanding, is not saving faith. Saving faith consumes your being. And we'll find out in a minute, faith is our victory. Faith is the only thing that will keep us. And we go back to uh, chapter 2 and verse 22, and we're going to have the same thing. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And and so John is giving us a a lot of repetition here, but if we put it in its context, this is talking about chapter 2, Antichrist. The Bible says there are many false prophets. There are many false prophets in the world. Chapter 3, false believers. There are many false believers in the world. Chapter 4, false spirits. There are many false spirits. By the way, how many true spirits are there? One. How many true Christ are there? One, how many ways of salvation, how many methods by which you a person can become a true believer? One. 
And so you see, even in the days of John, as he wrote this book, there were already many false prophets out there. There were already many antichrists going around. They, they were once part of the church, and now they had left the church because they never truly were a part of the church. And this tells us what this person called Antichrist, the one the Bible calls the Antichrist or the beast, when he shows up, the world is going to believe that he is Jesus Christ to the point to where they're going to worship him. And when that happens, the Bible tells us that is going to be the trigger in the living descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, that this is not the true Messiah. And the only person in history who could be the true Messiah of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. That's what the tribulation period is about. It is the redemption of physical Israel. To the Savior. These tests are out there. They're in the passage. Everything here is repeating and it's trying to help us understand. It's so simple. And yet, it's so hard to do, isn't it? It's so hard to say no to the world. To leave the world. To... to Just simply follow the commandments of Christ. But look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now, I'll tell you. Being saved and knowing you're saved is overcoming the world. Have you heard the new mantra? This came out, oh, several years ago, right after 9-11. The problem with the world is dogmatics in religion, is believing that you have the truth and not everybody has the truth. What we really need to understand is that everybody has a little bit of the truth. How many of you remember that? I mean, they just kept talking about that thing and... When they had a prayer meeting after 9-11, it was everybody was there. They'd have a rabbi and a preacher and a priest and an imam, and they would all pray together. Can I tell you something? The, the people that perpetrated those attacks believed that their religion was worth dying for. And that's why they did what they did. What happened in Belgium? Happened because those people that perpetrated those attacks believe that through murder and terror they are going to subjugate the world to their specific understanding of religion. And yet, even the youngest and most infant Christian 
who has truly trusted in Jesus Christ instantly sees the fallacy of all that thought process. Instantly sees how foolish the ideas of communism are and socialism. You see, that's the victory. That's what our faith does. How many would raise their hand and say, you know, before I was saved, I believed one thing in my politics. But after I got saved and started reading my Bible, it changed what I believe about politics. Anybody put up a hand and say, hey, the, the Bible changed my understanding uh, of the world in which I live. That's the victory over the world. It is our faith. It is by believing in Jesus Christ All of a sudden, I start understanding when the politicians are lying. Someone said, how can you tell when a politician's lying? It's very simple. Is their mouth open? Is sound coming out? Well, then you can pretty much bet they're lying to you. It's a pretty sad day. The founders of this country, um, uh, if you ever want to read some interesting things, the um, Federalist Papers and uh, uh, Mr. Cooper's Essays on Democracy. Uh, These were documents and articles that were written uh, during the adoption of our present Constitution. You have a chance to read those things. Essays on Democracy. He, He paints... The picture of our society today and says when this happens, America will cease being the nation that it is. Now that was written in the 1780s. And yet it's more up to date than your evening news. Why? Because these men understood that there's a difference between right and wrong. How do we know what's right and wrong? Oh, well, society determines, right? No. You look up the word obscenity, and it will tell you that it is a societal decision or ruling on what is unacceptable. No, that's, that's not what obscenity is. Obscenity is something that insults truth. That is obscenity. You see, once we have a standard, once we have something that we can measure by, and and this is what we've uh, tried to talk about um, on many occasions, an objective faith versus a subjective faith. An objective faith says, I have an object. And that's where we get into verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? That is the object of our faith. Everything we believe is attached to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? 
He is the object of our faith. He gives us a line of demarcation. He gives us a line saying that what's on this side of the line is righteousness and what's on this side of the line is sin. If you really want to make somebody mad at you, draw a line. Say, this is the way it is. It doesn't change. And we're not talking about the laws of the Medes and the Persians, all right? Uh, what we're talking about here is the character and the person of God. And you can take everything that the Bible calls sin, and it will take you to death. Everything the Bible calls sin, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Does it not? How many people die of anger every year? Well, that's kind of hard to... Do you know what the number one causative agent of cancer is? Stress. Unnatural... Stress on the human body will alter your body chemistry and, and cause. Now, we're not just talking about the stress of getting up in the morning. I know for some of you that's a lot of stress, but uh, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that kind of worry that gives you ulcers. And just eats up your insides. Just consumes your mind. And here's what the Bible says. How do we overcome the world? By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, what? all of a sudden, my attention is not on what I can do or what somebody else. My attention is on the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes the object of of my faith. He becomes the final arbiter of truth. The court of last appeal is the person and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, all of this gray area becomes very simply black and white. You know, that's what one of our quote-unquote uh, conservative candidates uh, for president in this primary season is having a real problem is because, you see, true conservatism is based on an object in America. The object is the Constitution of the United States. If, if you are trying to be a conservative and not attached to that document, you're going to vacillate back and forth and you're going to say things that are contradictory and they're going to catch you. Does that sound like one of the candidates on the Republican side? Uh, does anybody know who I'm talking about? Uh, I don't think I have to spell out his initials, but he makes great ties and shirts. Um, you see, what keeps us safe in this world of change is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We put faith in Jesus... And we understand 
But a lot of what the world says is good is sin. And as we separate ourselves from that and that worldly philosophy, we overcome the traps and the snares that are in this world. You know when the easiest time to quit smoking is? Before you light the first one. Isn't that true? And see, the advantage of being raised in church is you're taught that from the time you're a little child. Amen? And it protects you from those things. We, we live in a world that wants to make you its slave. If it's not cigarettes, it's drugs. If it's not illegal drugs, it's prescription drugs. If it's not prescription drugs, it's seeking power and fame and fortune. If it's not that, then it's the load of debt because the, the debtor is servant to the lender. And so they put you under debt and you just try to uh, uh, pay, pay the bills and, you, and all you can do is just pay the bills. How many people, you know, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? Um, we need to watch those things. You don't need things. You need Jesus. Because if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what's it say? All these things shall be added unto you. God will give you what you need to serve Him. If you've ever had to move, you found out one truth very assuredly. I have too many things. Isn't that true? And so... Here is how we overcome the world. It's by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That He came in the flesh. That He is the Christ. And that there are no others. If we love Him, what are we going to do? Keep His commandments. By keeping His commandments, what do I do? I love everybody around me. You know, it used to be in the United States of America that if you were a man in a community and you were giving the eye to other men's wives and talking to them in a disrespectful and sinful manner that the men of that community might come over for a visit and give you a warning that you're not going to treat my wife like this. You're not going to treat your wife like that. And, and the same would happen in these small communities if a woman would get out of line and start uh, trying. You know, it was against society 
to engage in behavior that would lead to divorce. That's why the divorce rate was like 0.1% 80 years ago or 100 years ago. Now, where in the world did society get the idea that divorce was a bad thing in the United States of America? Could it be from the Bible? Might it be from what Jesus taught, which takes us back to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, you don't have to be saved to keep some of his commandments. And if they're grievous to you, then you've got to understand, you might not be saved. That's the, the, the greatest joy in the life of the Christian is simply being obedient to Christ. And that obedience to Christ, the illustration I'm trying to give, even among unsaved people, that obedience to Christ had a society here in America that was so different than today. Because everybody only thought it was right to do what the Bible said. Are we together still? Now, if we're going to love the world in which we live, what we've got to do is love Jesus first and keep his commandments. I've had people say, I I just wish I could live like you and the people in that church. It's like a little world all to itself. It's like you're not affected by everything that's going on, but I have to live in the real world. Wrong. We all live in the same world you do. We just choose not to serve the world Because we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gives us freedom. And He gives us peace. And He gives us love. And He gives us the ability to help one another. And you know, the greatest help that you will give to other people, you will not even be aware that you're doing it. You see, that's how God works. And all God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We just ask that you would be with us as we go through these, this last chapter of John's little book here. And Lord, it's, it's little in the number of words compared to many other books of the Bible, yet it is so vast in its understanding and in its application to everything that goes on in our life every day. Lord, help us to grab a hold of that verse and to love this, to love the people of this world, to love other believers by keeping your commandments, to find that freedom that you have for us in overcoming the bondage that is in the world. Everything the world offers has a hook in it. But Lord, when we surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to you and your word, we get true freedom and peace. Help us to live in your word. 
And before we finish that prayer, if you'd like to just slip out of your seat, spend some time with the Lord, the altar is open.